Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. So, Craig, I went to it chapter two. Okay, yeah, I didn't see the first chapter. Did you How know? many chapters are there going to be? Like Two. Stephen King's books are long. Uh, did you see the original miniseries? No. Tim Curry is a revelation in it. Actually, I think I did when I was like 12 or something. Yeah, well, this, yeah. Is, this is the new one. This ain't your mama's it, as they would say. Okay. It's um, very long. Yeah. It's tonally askew. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I liked it. It's not great. And uh, I'll say this, not enough child murder. <laughs> you know, like, that's what you're buying your popcorn for. Yeah, no, it's it's not great. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 183 of the No Encore Musical Podcast. I'm joined by Craig Fitzpatrick. Hi, how are you? I'm joined by no one else. It's just us. Just the two of That's us. That's correct. We got a message this morning. Yeah. From Dahi. <laughs> that said, I'm really sick. I've got the flu. I can't make the show. I'm sorry. Please tell everyone I didn't enjoy the Post Malone album. That we'll be reviewing later in the show. Yeah. We were going to draft in another contributor uh, who also pulled out. I feel like maybe the Post Malone album was putting people off joining us. I'm yeah, hoping the, it was Post and not this us. This person did cite a migraine, so I don't know how that bodes well for <laughs> yeah. our review coming later in the show. Uh, so yeah, I will say though about Dahi, um, myself and himself went for a pint the other night with Alex Ridley, who who's his drummer, yes. friend, and uh, a very nice man, I will say. I very much enjoy his company. In that order. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, that's on his business card. So we went for like a local pint on Monday uh, in Castle Knock, and we were sitting outside at around, I'd say like 7 o'clock, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Sun's kind of going down. It's nice, um, but it's getting a little bit cold, you know, mm-hmm. as the weather is now. And there was a couple uh, at the table in front of me behind Dahi. I would say probably late 40s, early 50s. I'm really bad with ages. Yeah. But older than me anyway, you know. Uh, uh, so basically, that, that's how I judge things. Older or younger than me. Um, and they were just, I guess they were on a date, probably husband and wife or something. 
and right. I noticed Dahi was <laughs> date night, yeah, on a Monday. Jesus. I noticed Dahi, Dahi was kind of giggling. I could overhear some stuff as well, but like the man uh, very sincerely uh, said aloud to his missus, like the following actual sentence. Go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> I love the sunlight. I love the fire. I love the color of the building, but I fear the promise of winter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Tywin fucking Lannister, apparently, like just Jesus hanging out. Christ. Like, it's totally sincere. It wasn't a gag. It was like, I love the sunlight, I love the fire, I love the color of the building, but I fear the promise. Was it said like that? Was it like... No, it it was more like wistfully kind of like jovial. And then at one stage we had a conversation about Tim Curry's performance in It and that led to a Rocky Horror mention. Dottie hasn't seen it, shamefully. And then when the couple were leaving, they came over and were like, oh, couldn't help but overhear you. You were talking about Rocky Horror. And I was like, yes, we were. And I was like, like, where's this going? And they were just like, oh, it's fantastic. And I was like, yeah, it's great, isn't it? So they were nice people. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he he must be like a filmmaker or something, you know? Who talks like that? Yeah, just pretentious, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of did nail it. Like, that's how I feel right now. I was going to ask. It's it's like the first week of being back to school or something. I was going to ask, like, do you fear the promise of winter? Yeah, I don't like this time of year. I'm actually, I'm better when we're in it, but like right now when you know what's coming and it's just going to get darker and darker in the evenings and it's just like, the weather's still kind of good for bits. It's like teasing you with a bit of like last moments of summer. Oh, no. Well, winter's already here, Craig, for Dublin's week. cultural spaces, I'll tell you that much, because <laughs> uh, Bernard Shaw, a pub in Dublin, but much more than a pub, it's a cultural space and a hangout yeah. for artists, uh, is effectively uh, done for. It's been sold off to the highest bidder, and they're going to be shutting it all down. Uh, I will say, not much of a frequent attender myself no, or attendee, neither. but I did interview Girlband on the Big Blue Bus there once, and it's one of my favourite interviews I've ever done. So for that reason alone, I'm upset that it's leaving. Yeah, I think most people that go people out have been Dublin very have, upset have about had this. good moments in it. Yeah, I guess, you know, even if you weren't a frequenter, it's more for what it symbolises, I guess. And as you say, it was, you know, more than just... It didn't feel like a place that was go to be served drink first. It was, you know, multi purpose. There's a lot they of like cultural places. Flea markets happening. And yeah. Lots of gigs and it DJs. It stood for a lot. I guess a lot of kind of friendships were formed there, a lot of uh, creative ventures. And it had like a lingering death in the end. Like it was just, you know, it was you could see it coming for a long time. I think people were hoping some um, solution, positive solution, would be found. But yeah, another example of. Um, a decent spot, a kind of authentic spot, a place run for the right reasons, closing down in Dublin. Yeah, um, Mannix Flynn stepped out of his terrifying yeah. election photographs and rolled up his sleeves and did his best to put hipsters down. Uh, I will say that like, when it comes to Dublin shutting down all these spaces, it is it is getting to epidemic levels. It is upsetting. I generally find myself to be quite numb to these things. I'm not much of an activist. I would never claim to be one. I couldn't even rattle off a disappointed tweet. But what I will say is, if you do care a lot about this kind of stuff, I would recommend listening to this week's Nile Nine podcast in which they spent about a half an hour like talking about this and the, you know... Uh, disease of Dublin, I suppose you could say. The infection that's coming and all the hotels. Everyone's everyone's very head up about it. I just don't know what I can add to the conversation, guys. So I'm only going to spend that yeah. amount of time we, on it. You know, we've talked before about um, tentative proposals for like a nightmare. or But something needs to be done. Because nights are. Uh, nights are, of course. That's yeah. what I want, yeah. <laughs> uh, night emperor. But yeah, something needs to be done. In it terms does. Of planning and the city's going to rack and ruin. I mean, like, yeah, we're not really the people to talk to because we did spend probably the first five years of our friendship just sitting in Four Dame Lane, which isn't really the cultural hotspot. Well, we also <laughs> went, to, went to the Workman's Club quite we a bit. We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would probably be our spot. That's more on brand. Yeah. yeah. We're not cool enough to go to the Bernard Shaw. 
We're not. In fact, no. the last and time it's was, far away. It's far <laughs> away, and the last time it's inconvenient. Get rid of it. <laughs> the last now, if it was wetter spoons, <laughs> sign me up. Yes. The last time I was in the Bernard Shaw, I saw some very aggressive sexual behavior from people. So I don't know. Maybe it's for the best. Down with this sort. Am I right? <laughs> uh, also, possibly for the best, but not really. Uh, they're making face off again. Like, this why is the biggest news of my week? <laughs> You've written honest. this down. Yeah, I've gone into boring autumn mode where I'm just catching up with Bake Off and I'm shocked by the fact they're rebooting face off. Like, yeah. How do you reboot face off? Why bother? Like, it's perfect. But. <sighs> Paul Moore, who I work with in Joe, wrote a headline on this this week, and he said, face off to be remade in brave attempt to top perfection, which I thought was spot on. Yeah, because, you know, obviously it's a ludicrous premise. With two of the most ludicrous actors. This is, this is why it works, because Nicolas Cage has talked before about how it's the performance he's most proud of. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> because, yeah. He shows his range. <laughs> yeah, you've got to match Travolta, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Cage is outstanding in it. Um, I don't know who you'd possibly draft in. I thought about this all day when I saw that you put it down in the running order. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, There's no one at that mainstream level that could go big enough. <sighs> I had one person earlier on and I've forgotten. I also like the idea of like Joaquin Phoenix and Michael Shannon or something. Like something just Ooh. two of the most crazy actors out there. Or like Day-Lewis comes out of retirement. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis and Aidan Gillen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually sold on that. Billy Ray Cyrus and Miley Cyrus. But the problem becomes, you know, if you reboot it, are you trying to capture that like over the like is it does it become a meta thing of trying to harness that energy? Because why it works in the first place is Travolta and Cage were working with a blank canvas. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to make their masterpiece. Carefully constructed by John Woo. <laughs> At the turn of the century. Broad as doves. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with that movie. A family member went to Australia where, you know, we had that time gap difference with mm. movies coming out before. And I got sent to the VHS of Face Off when I was in like first or second year in school. And I was like passing around the classroom. Like you got fucking... sent the VHS. I got sent with the cover and all. Like, I mean, like it was like, I had it like a year before it came to cinemas or something ridiculous like that i was like the most popular kid in school for a time because i had face off and because it was a vhs you know you just watched it like 17 times yeah it was a real staple of um advanced vision as it was in leaks up uh so yeah my, i think my da- that's one of my da- da's favorites um sorry the name of the video store in your local was advanced vision we had two there was an extra vision i worked one. in extra vision in Drama, yeah but there was know. an advanced vision which was i think slightly closer <laughs> so that's wow. where we mainly went <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> and it was like a run down extra vision <laughs> <laughs> incredible Do you remember the scene with like the, there's a big shootout and they put like there's like a kid it's like his kid and the kid's like about six years of age and of course has that classic six-year-old boy hair haircut where like the hair is like down to like his yeah. shoulders and they're like oh no no put on his music he'll be okay and they put on like a pair of headphones yeah. like, it's like he loves his music and it's somewhere over the rainbow and I'm like what <laughs> <laughs> he loves his music somewhere over the rainbow he's into show Classic. tunes yeah um, I, I had someone earlier on I had like one half of it and I was like oh that's a really good one I was trying to think of like young modern day action people or whatever or whoever could be good and I've, it's it's already I left my head can... so I Do you know. just like recast probably... Nicolas Cage and Chandra? <laughs> well, no, they have to have cameos at least. I reckon they'll probably just get like lower named actors. Yeah, you know. Or what if they did a thing where it was like they got like just the guys from the raid? Just do that sure. and just have them beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah. But no, don't remake Face. Don't off. remake it. Also, that that film was like very of its time. Like it's a kind of a gross film. 
Like it's nasty. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really nasty. Like some of, I was thinking of some of like my favorite standout moments, and it's actually very problematic now. Nicholas Cage like, is introduced uh, when he's in his priest garb. as a priest garb, <laughs> it, like dressed up as a like, as, as a priest, in which he then like sexually assaults a, a very young, very young girl, member of the yeah. choir, and that's 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 not even the height of it, guys. Yeah, uh, he has a line where he said, "If I if, if I was to let you suck, oh my god, tongue. on the yeah plane." Yeah, just wantonly shooting people in the head all the time. Uh, yeah, it's but now look at him <laughs> doing Prince karaoke in LA. <laughs> yeah, it all it all worked out. It's a fucked up movie, uh, but it's also a, it's called Face Off. I think it's in the top five action movies of the nineties. Yeah, My I top so five too. would probably be Face Off, Con Air, Terminator Two, The Rock, and Broken Arrow. <sighs> Am I forgetting it in there? Probably um, Bad Boys. Bad Boys, I wouldn't quite have up top there. ten. Yeah, lower ten. There's got to be some other Cage ones in there. Mm. We'll come back to this. Well, yeah. The Rock, you know, The Rock's amazing. The Rock's amazing. Yeah. Connor is amazing. Yeah, good show. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's three Nicolas Cage movies yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. and two John Travolta. It should all be Cage. The Venn Diagram, the Venn Diagram, and, and, and an Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, solid list. Let's get to the music then. Yes. Uh, sad scenes again. There's been a lot of horrible, yeah, fucking it's a grim premature week death in general. Um, Daniel Johnson, we learned um, late last night, has passed away, um, aged 58 following a heart attack, it was confirmed. Um, Daniel Johnson kind of, I guess, um, pigeonholed for a long time as like outsider music, but actually was, you know, a huge fan of the Beatles, loved pop music, made um, very poppy tunes, had a real winning way with melody. Um, he had his mental health issues over the years. Um, he was diagnosed uh, schizophrenic and bipolar. A uh, real sensitive, um, good-natured, um, kind of kind soul who came to prominence, I guess, because Kurt Cobain started wearing his T-shirts um, in the early 90s and he was championed by a lot of kind of alt-rock figures then. Um, you know, he started his career in the 80s just making tapes at home, really lo-fi stuff and just handing them out on the street. He was that kind of guy. He was in it f- completely for the love of it. It was... Um, is true love and life along with yeah, the Beatles and Casper the Ghost. Um, he had a lot of issues in the 90s following his kind of mainstream success, uh, but he came back um, in uh, the 2000s and re- was kind of releasing albums pretty regularly up until a couple of years ago. He would ha- then had health issues, um, diabetes and the likes. But yeah, I mean, the kind of outpouring um, of tributes... Um, from across the kind of musical spectrum and the entertainment field, I guess, in general last night was really heartening. Uh, the likes of Beck, Judd Apatow, uh, Elijah Woods, was talking about the genius of his music. And there was, you know, tributes paid to him while he was still here. I remember kind of my way into his music was um, a record that was called, um, ironically enough, The Late Great Daniel Johnson, which was one half his originals and one half covers from the likes of Flaming Lips Um yeah, 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 Beck, a whole bunch of artists. His stuff was the best stuff um, and definitely worth seeking out. Yeah, I must confess, outside of his notoriety, I wasn't terribly familiar with him. I do recall, again, working in Next Vision, I remember the Devil and Daniel Johnston documentary. Yeah, a out. tremendous documentary. I remember we only had like one or two copies of it because we didn't have that many, you know, like you'd have a couple of art house movies here and there, but it was a solid renter. I remember people would always fucking seek it out. Seemed to be a bit of a cult around the guy. And I'm, like I say, I mean, like I can't sit here and, and be like a list off any kind of fan like experiences of my own. I would suggest people go up and hit up a Leagues O'Toole's Twitter account. So, yeah, there's a great thread. He put he a big story in yeah, a thread about him. When he brought him to Dublin for a gig um, and just kind of his day in Dublin. You know, he was a massive comic book fan. Uh, he visited uh, a comic store here. 
Um, they lost him for a bit, found him. I love the fact that like everyone in Dublin seemed to recognize who he was, which like <laughs> said a lot for Dublin. You know, we're not completely destroyed yet. Um, but yeah, just a kind of a really sweet soul, which you can hear in some of his, his uh, incredible kind of classic pop songs. Yeah, as noted, by the way, I mean, this kind of not directly related, but it just made me think of it. Obviously, we lost David Berman recently yeah. as well, because I just saw a lot of the same people and, and who I would follow on Twitter espousing the same. Uh, and one of, of those artists that was probably underappreciated, but championed by, you know, uh, certain quarters, but just kind of once you heard their work and fell for it, you felt like a real personal affinity for them, I guess. Yeah, the reason I mentioned David Perman is on Thursday the 17th of October in the Sound House in Dublin, I was announced today, there's a tribute night for David Perman in which uh, Adrian Crowley, Steve from Windings, Maya Sophia, Anna Carey and Patrick Frayne and others will play the songs of Silver Jews and Purple Mountains. Uh, tickets are €15 Euro mm-hmm. and from Eventbrite by the way all proceeds go to Aware so that's going to be a great night I would imagine and like I say a lot of people who of course have been struggling I think in the wake are are getting together to do something really really good Uh, and yes rest in peace David Berman rest in peace Daniel Johnson so I was going to say there was a good message actually from Jeff Tweedy Um, I was actually slightly older quote but you know talking about that documentary um, about Daniel Johnson where I guess maybe we don't do it so much now, but a lot of his fame uh, was centered around his mental health issues and, you know, the fragility of the man. Jeff Tweedy said, Daniel has managed to create in spite of his mental illness, not because of it. He's been honest in his portrayal of what he's been struggling with without overtly drawing attention to it. So, yeah, I guess the one kind of takeaway from, you know, the tributes would be check out his music. He was really passionate about making mainstream kind of big hearted melodic songs and he created despite kind of you know being seen as an outsider not because of it so yeah rest in peace well said by Jeff Tweedy and well said by you but you. Uh, for that can I can I cheer you up Greg yes let's what let's if, get on to some really exciting news what if I told you <laughs> what if I told you that Weezer were coming to Ireland next year for a show I'd be excited yeah I saw them recently that's what? great news Dave <laughs> <laughs> what if I told you that they were opening a show actually and ahead of them on the bill would be Who? Fallout Boy Oh my god, well, okay, I'm not sure about the order, but Fallout Boy has some tunes. That's enough for me, I'm going. (laughs) Well, I know you say it's enough for you, Greg, but as a matter of fact... It's almost too much. As a matter of fact, there's another band on the bill. That's right. Who could you possibly add to that bill? Great question. Only one answer, and it's Green Day. That's right. Uh, I wrote the news story for Joe that you've copied and pasted. Why don't you read my own words back to me? <laughs> <laughs> right, let's not make eye contact with each other. The RDS the, Arena I'll Dublin is set for one hell of a rock and roll triple threat next summer. It's Green Day, Fallout Boy and Weezer team up for an Irish super show. The Hella Mega Tour, as it's being called, hits up the RDS on Monday, 29th of June. Um, tickets are a cool 79.50, which isn't bad, actually, for that kind of bill. Um, there's even an appropriate over-the-top um, poster for the occasion, there which is, is indeed, great. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, it's also sponsored by Harley-Davidson, which I left out yes, of the I did not. Story. Right, I left right, it out of the story because right. I was disgusted. And there was a horrible like Harley-Davidson quote where it was like, well, obviously, as manufacturers of the most rocking bikes in the world, we've put together the most blah, 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 blah. There's also a YouTube video of all three front men. So Pete Wentz, who I guess isn't the front man, but kind of is, a all yeah. boy. Billy Joe Armstrong, who is 47 years of age, and Rivers Cuomo <laughs> you should from, know better. <laughs> from Weezer. There's a weird video of them in a green screen, which then turns on fire as the devil himself, as played by Ric Flair, shows up to hype up the occasion. I mean, this is your classic cash grab, isn't it? But at the same time, could be a fun night out. I don't know. Yeah, this kind of surprised me I'm because... I'm not going, <laughs> just to clarify. Because <laughs> yeah, Green Day 
have long become a problem. Yeah. Green Day would be the band that I'd be least receptive to seeing, I think, at this point. But also, they're the ones that surprised me the most because Weezer have long since given over to being a novelty act. And, you know, they're doing the Teal album recently where they just do really kind of cheesy covers. Uh, I'm not going to list every kind of novelty thing they've done of late, but they're very knowing and very like, we're selling out and we're fine with that, Grant. Fallout Boy have gone the same way, <laughs> right? But they totally have. have. Like they, they had have, that summer song that we had on our Sound of the Summer. They blah, still blah, have blah. some great pop sensibility. They do, though. but they've totally, you know, their, their kind of party line now is pop isn't a dirty word, and we're going to collaborate with Wyclef Jean. If they've 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 just done this week, and yeah. Green Day are trash now. But I thought they were kind of self serious trash. I'm surprised they've given in to being on this bill. Uh, they sold out years ago, man. I mean, like... Was it the rock opera? Of course it was. <laughs> it was the whole stage two renaissance career slash we're now a mainstream band that kind of came out an hour with American Idiot. And yeah, for a band that I grew up quite liking to a degree, it's it's whatever. I, they were never the most, I suppose, depthful band, but to see what they become is just sad. And even but, the way that they're talking about the new album, like they've just turned into Blink-182, you know? But there was a period there where... Actually, prefer Blink-182. Billy Joe <laughs> like, seemed, seemed to think he was like the next Springsteen in terms of rock star at a mainstream level in the US having a kind of social conscience and re- writing these kind of blue-collar anthems for the working-class man. And has he just abandoned that? Or is he still trying to tread that? And that's part of the kind of populist rock narrative now. You don't care to find out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care to find out. As is my attitude with pretty much everybody in the world, I would interview the man tomorrow, but I just yeah. don't think he's got much to say. They, Yeah, the Tree Groups released new songs to kind of coincide with this. Have you listened to the Tree Groups? I listened to the Green Day song, which is the title track yeah. of their new album that they've announced. It's called Father, Father of All. Father of All Motherfuckers, it, I believe. Is the... Gave it two listens, and I was just like, what is this supposed to be? He's doing a weird thing with his voice. Don't know. Doesn't sound like Green Day to me. Doesn't no. sound good either. I haven't heard the other two songs. Um, the Fallout Boy song is with Wyclef Jean. Why don't, not? Don't listen to it. It's not even <laughs> fun. Um, and the Weezer song is listenable pop rock. Okay. Will you go to the gig? <laughs> no, I will not. Okay. Um, I don't want to go to the RDS for any reason. <laughs> <laughs> Least of all this. I'd be happy to see Weez- Weezer again at a festival. Probably same goes for Fallout Boy. Not so much um, Green Day. So yeah, best of luck to the lads. I'm sure people are extremely excited about this, right? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, wrote the story for Joe the other day, obviously with a hint of irony, as you can tell by my mm. rocking dialogue. <laughs> I mean, like five thousand shares, like uh, insane amount of comments, people losing their fucking mind. Yeah, you know. Um, I told my colleague Carl Kinsel about it uh, when he came back from his break, and I've never, as I said on Twitter, I've never seen such a mix of joy and confusion <laughs> on someone's face. He was very happy and also shocked. One musical event I was genuinely very excited about was Alien Stock, but it's not happening yeah, now. I know you, okay, because you've been talking about this quite a lot off mic. <laughs> yeah. Alien Stock, the music festival near Area 51, of course, has been cancelled over fears. Minor fears it would become a humanitarian disaster. So fair play. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the music festival near um, Area 51, Nevada, isn't happening. It's organisers um, who are also the people that were running the viral storm Area 51 Facebook event page that took off and I think it got over 2 million people saying they were going to this September 20th event to basically just run at the military base and see what happens. (laughs) Um, They've announced they're pulling the plug um, following safety concerns. Um, They actually... 
uh, directly uh, invoked the spirit of Firefest and said they um, wouldn't tolerate any involvement in Firefest 2.0. Uh, we foresee a possible humanitarian disaster in the works and we can't participate in any capacity at this point. Well, that's fair. It is fair. Um, yeah, it's permanently, they permanently ended their relationship with the festival's permit holder. Um, they weren't provided with the proof that things um, that you would expect at the festival were in place. It's looking like this kind of um, this mass gathering is going to go ahead. Um, like the town of Rachel, which is the nearest town to Area Fifty One, <laughs> the st- town of Rachel, <laughs> where we fear the promise of winter. Rachel believes that forty thousand people could descend on us. Um, I'm imagining like an old man saying, "Rachel believes <laughs> that the crops are failing. <laughs> yeah, have to do human sacrifice." A comment on their official website includes the line, "It will get ugly." <laughs> um, which is very foreboding. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, West, who is the organizer that um, the Area 51 dudes, the conspiracy theorists, have <laughs> cut ties with, um, is still planning a version of the event. Uh, it's gonna, They're going to do it on their scale. Um, yeah, I'm, hopefully s- it I'm, I'm sad. Happen. I'm sad and I'm brokenhearted, but at the same time, it is what it is, said Love Island fan West. Uh, yeah, I like the fact that like these conspiracy theory guys are more level-headed than Billy McFarland and the Firefest guys were. Yeah, um, I like to think that we're all, we all are, you know? Probably At are. this stage. In other kind of festival and concert news, uh, Tom Morello, Amanda Palmer and... The downtown boys um, are campaigning against facial recognition at festivals. So there's this coalition that's gathered around um, a campaign from the digital rights group Fight for the Future, um, who've been calling on fans, artists, festivals to oppose the use of facial recognition technology in live music settings. This comes after news that Ticketmaster, which is an organi- organization I think it's fair to say we've had trust issues with. Uh, I was about to say, the they recent- sell tickets, Greg. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I think they're an organization. Well, they also have invested recently in facial recognition tech, um, which uh, this group claims puts undocumented fans, fans of color, trans fans, and fans with criminal records at risk of being unjustly detained, harassed, and judged. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. Like, Ticketmaster seems to be investing in this technology with the express purpose of um, increased safety, I guess, and maybe you know, with kind of things in recent years around shootings at gigs, and it doesn't seem to be being used to, uh, I don't know, um, outlaw touting and stuff like that. I'm very, very suspicious of using facial technology for any type of. Deal. What about going through an airport? Um. Well, we're kind of, we're already there. I suppose you just have to put up with it, right? So you're not suspicious of that one? Well, if you're going to ever leave the country, you just have to get on with it. I think what I've done here, Craig, is I've checkmated you. (laughs) You I've taken your argument and I've just killed you in one fell swoop. That's fair. Yeah, but I mean, it it is a case of what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, we're constantly being surveilled as, you know, we're being watched by Google, as Kasabian told us, uh, <laughs> prophesized about <laughs> three years ago. I feel, <laughs> I feel like, uh, airports aside, the only time I ever want to, like, have a face recognition thing is if I'm in, like, the opening scene of a sci-fi movie in 1995 where I have to, like, go into a room and they need to, like, scan my eyeball or something. That's fine. That's an acceptable scenario. Yeah. Not at a music festival. It's tough enough going to a music festival without, like, this. Although, I am generally, like, on the side of anything that upsets Amanda Palmer is good with me. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about that interview? I've or? mentioned this interview about yeah, 600 <laughs> times. Go back and find it somewhere in the audio. If not, it's good I once stuff. interviewed Amanda Palmer. Yes. It didn't go great. I wasn't on Twitter. I had 
had a feeling. I checked her Twitter account, and sure enough, she'd given out about me. It was kind of my fault, wasn't it? It was kind of your fault, yeah. Uh, yeah. And let's, 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 let's just not, not get, get into, into it. it. Yeah, um, okay. Uh, what else is going on? News roulette. Pick one. <laughs> do we want to talk about Taylor Swift? Dude, I think we've done enough. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about Kurt Cobain and his estate launching a clothing line. This is bad, isn't it? I'm not into this. Yeah. Um, it's called Kurt it, Was Here. Kurt Was Here. Yeah, and it, the, the fact his estate is behind it. Like, we've done news stories over the last couple of years where it's um, scrupulous brands kind of coming out with stuff that has some tangential connection to Kurt. And Courtney Love will, and um, Francis Bean will come out quite quickly and quite rightly to say this, uh, you know, does nothing for his reputation. Not this it's, time. Nope. Um <laughs> They've collaborated with Live Nation, closely aligned with Ticketmaster, great bunch of lads. Um, yeah, it's been launched in tribute to Late Star, apparently. It's a collection of t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies, um, which um, Cobain's daughter, Frances, reportedly helped curate. It features prints of their Nirvana frontman's sketches and handwritten notes. Uh, Rolling Stone has pointed out that none of the sketches or notes have been edited or resized for the garments in an apparent bid to maintain some level of integrity. So yeah, it's a partnership between Live Nation merchandise and the estate. Uh, the business entity of which is called The End of Music, quite hilariously, is being sold through Barney's Selfridges and the official KurtCobainShop.com. Um, in a statement to Rolling Stone, Live Nation said, this is brilliant corporate speak, we believe that the importance of art is exceedingly potent in today's social and political <laughs> oh, climate oh, and that hell. it is the right time to share this collection of Kurt's work with artists, collectors and fans, allowing them to experience Kurt's legacy in a new way Craig, <laughs> on <some> their body <laughs> and collectively celebrate his lasting impact on the world. As someone who works in advertising... <laughs> How do you feel about it's, this? It's, Be honest. It's good branding. It's um, go on. No, no, take take us behind this. Go full fucking Don Draper now on the mic. Just do it. It's a very cynical campaign. It's a very cynical collection, and I believe this statement was probably retrospectively written by an agency trying to somehow make this seem okay and shoehorn in some level of like cultural viability. I mean, they have the consent, obviously, of the estate, um, which is worrying. I remember at the time, do you remember when the Kurt Cobain journals came out? It's probably about 10, 15 years ago now. I remember it well, yeah. And there was backlash at the time, I think quite rightly, um, particularly because the cover of one of the main notebooks basically said, don't give this away, don't read this, don't judge me. Uh, it was like plastered all over the cover. It felt very, very voyeuristic and um, kind of nasty. You could say, you know, it might have some, like, historical relevance in terms of being published. When it's suddenly being put on fashion items, it's it's a whole new level of distasteful. Um, and, yeah, I, I know we're not, like, who are we to say what um, his daughter should do with his legacy, but it feels like a cash grab to me. <laughs> Nirvana were an act that I never fully worshipped the way other people did. I don't really put them on, listen to them. I probably have, you know, when I was trying to be an edgy teenager, probably would have been like, nah, man, they're overrated. And I think the argument can probably still be made. However, at the same time, I'd like to think that I have enough of an appreciation for Kurt Cobain's work that this is the kind of thing he'd be writing songs about, like, taken against. It's I everything mean, he stood against. Like, like yeah. it's, I, I think it's really, I have a problem with it. I think I think it's really ill-dignified Ill and genuinely desecrates the man's legacy, and I don't like it. And, you know, when you think about, 
if you kind of you know if you read his note he left when um he he died by suicide a lot of the notes seem to deal with his struggles being someone that had very high-minded artistic views and leftist views and um kind of socialist leanings aligned with the fact his band had become mainstream and he was you know struggling with capitalist ideas and None of it sat well with him, so this is just like to see him be further commodified is pretty awful. Like I, I, I worshipped Nirvana as a teenager. I still go back to him quite free, frequently. I think their music stands up because I think he was a really singular talent and someone who conten- condensed a lot of influences really well. I off- also think, like in terms of his peers, and you know, not only like rock icons who came before him, but even more current um, big stars. He kind of surprisingly holds up well in today's climate of um, wokeness um, and just an awareness of um, people's rights and how we should really conduct ourselves. He was kind of, you know, um, spearheading the movement in terms of uh, feminism uh, in, at a time when rock was really misogynistic and pig-headed. He was a, a very feminist guy. He had a great love for hip-hop. He was just like, you know, rock and roll is dead. It's all about hip-hop. It's all about that kind of culture. He just seemed like a really good guy who, if you read a lot of his interviews from the time in the not-so-woke 90s, if he was coming out with that stuff now, you couldn't pull him up on anything. He was really ahead of his time in that regard. So it's just awful to see him be used like this. Well, let's kick off Songs of the Week. (laughs) with What a grim week. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, let's let's kick it off in that spirit with Mm. one of hip-hop's more rock and roll figures. Let's do it. It's Craig's best friend, Danny Brown. We still out here living like a doctor. (laughs) The hybrid selling you, try again, sleep with the beast. Then you win the line team, still drop dirty. After popping icing, it's our damn day, just to get violated. Ever seen that road swift? Babies have babies in a hood like whatever. We gang this bitch together. And that song was Dirty Laundry. Craig, what, how's your boy? I guess he's my friend too. Yeah, friend of the podcast. <laughs> friend of the podcast. I believe. Yeah. Um, a great guy all around. Craig um, Tom had to use a kettle. I once tweeted about Flying Lotus using visuals during his set he, and he <laughs> quote tweeted me. Yeah. Uh, that's why we're friends with him. Friend he's a stand-up dude. Um, he's gearing up to release his uh, forthcoming album, You Know What I'm Saying. It follows on from um, 2016's Atrocity Tros- Exhibition, which was... Great record. An incredible uh, record. Like, prior to it coming out, I had him top five in terms of the most potent um, inventive voices in hip-hop. He's one of my favorite rappers of the moment. I think he can match the likes of Kendrick. But with Atrocity Exhibition, he really showed the breadth of his artistic vision. There was elements of, you know, post-punk, art rock, techno. Uh, The use of sampling was crazy. It was just this fantastical horror show of i don't I, it's it's re, it kind of defied description it was a record. very well titled record <laughs> yeah yeah um so sorry did you say it defied description it defies description to be yeah. <laughs> martin tyler uh commenting on wayne rooney's overhead kick against man city it was very it much description how about spectacular it was very much hip-hop's wayne rooney's overhead how kick against sensational <laughs> Yeah, it really was. I mean, oh, it's it's a phenomenal record. He's he's such a talent. He's such a whirling dervish of a force. Yeah, is this good? 
Yes. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. It's, very, <laughs> it's, it's very good. It's really good. <laughs> um, it doesn't have um, the intensity of Atrocity Exhibition, which is probably like I'm still recovering from it, so it's a welcome respite. It's um, <laughs> the first fruits of his collaboration with Q-Tip, who will be producing a lot of the forthcoming record. Uh, Q-Tip, just uh, an iconic figure in hip-hop. Very um, boundary-pushing as well. I think they should match up very well. It sounds like it's working. The production on this is insane. Um there's kind of oddball since it reminded me of um, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh's work on like the Rugrats soundtrack. So d- the main guy in Devo did the music for Nickelodeon show Rugrats. And, you know, that kind of off kilter, weirdly poppy kind of not quite working, but somehow working. Slightly stuff. vertigo inducing. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of the sound um, of this. It's lyrically, it's brilliant. It sounds like the music was put through like a spin cycle and came out discolored and not quite what it was. He's such a great storyteller as well. Like this is like, he, he reminds me of like a rap kind of Bukowski because he talks about just, you know, his, um, his, uh, sexual escapades in a way that is never like braggadocia. It's just like, it sounds like this man stumbling through life and, uh, he grandstands about the really embarrassing, just like shockingly grimy, awful stuff as much as the kind of um, more glamorous trappings of life he's just a really good documenter of it such a unique voice some of his phrasing on this is brilliant like that line when he's just talking about like actual change like even just his phrasing on that i'm like we're so lucky to have him (laughs) oh he sounds like a pitch shifting machine but it's just his voice yeah there's no effects like (laughs) he's great yeah like i I, you said about my good so let's just move on to song number two Mm. uh staying within the confines of the genre or perhaps breaking out of them it's a team up this time between slow thigh who i don't think we've featured on the show before a lot very talked about british rapper Mm -hmm. and denzel curry who we're big fans of this song is called Psycho. And appropriately enough, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's like uh, Hitchcock Trap. <laughs> it reminded me of obvious comparison here, but it reminded me of horror. Like it reminded me of like, like HO nine 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 nine. Yeah, that kind of really kind of twisty, uh, kaleidoscopic kind of theremin infused strangeness. Yeah, and an interesting, strings. an interesting kind of uh, duality at, at front here. The first thing I will say, even though it's a slow thigh track, first and foremost is that Denzel Curry is having a hell of a year. If you haven't checked out mm-hmm. You, his album from this year yet, go do so. It's definitely going to feature in my top 10, I think. I'd be surprised if it didn't. Very strong. I think he's a serious fucking talent, and he elevates this track quite well. Slow Thigh is someone I'm not terribly familiar with, but he definitely hangs in there. Yeah, um, I actually think I might have preferred Slow Thigh's verses, but they both, are, they, the chemistry between them is something else. Um, and it's a really, like, the instrumental is so bananas and such a, it's such a hard, hard trap beat. It's one of the beats of the year. It, it takes kind of real talents to somehow emerge victorious over that beat. And like, you know, there's very few people like Danny Brown could probably do well on this. Um, a lot of rappers could not. That They hang in there, like cling to the beat. It, it's fantastic. They've been apparently doing it live a lot prior to the release of it. And I can imagine, I like just saw comments online saying it goes even harder live. It, it feels like 
uh it, like it reminds me a bit of that uh, kanye and jay-z their parisian collaboration where you probably had to experience it live just to elevate it even further like it just became an event um <laughs> i'd love like an album of the two of these guys doing really stuff. yeah okay I think it's a really strong matchup yeah it is and so i i haven't got to nothing great about britain yet which i probably should i read q had a really good long form feature on him a couple of issues ago and it comes across as a very interesting personality, very grounded, very ambitious, very focused, while also still retaining the qualities of a young British man in obviously this awful British yeah. day and age, hence the album title. Um, but someone you know who still has love for his gran, and like, I mean, like that's how the article <laughs> yeah. ends ends with like him looking up into the you know his biggest show to date at home, and she's there in, in the balcony, and it's a nice kind of thing. Uh, he definitely has teeth, this guy. Yeah, and apparently the guy who produced this beat, Quez Darko, does most of the production on that album. So yeah, hundred percent check it out. Yep, I will. I must get to it. I was stuck for something to listen to today, and I stupidly didn't think of this one, but I'll get to it. I promise. Uh, let's take it all down to Ambient yeah. City. It's M eighty three. They're back. It's not what it sounds like. It sounds like this. That was Temple of Sorrow. It's a six, seven minuter. Uh, very cha- a change of direction for M83 if you haven't been paying attention to their whole career. Essentially, this is from a forthcoming new record, which I believe is Digital Shades Volume 2. Yeah, I uh, don't know Volume 1. It's a long time ago. Yeah, it's around, I want to say, 2007. I could be getting that year wrong. But uh, I've been an M83 fan, or at least was. I'm kind of a lapsed fan at the moment because the last album was so bad. <laughs> yeah, like it's you were such a fan. Oh, I was hardcore, like considering getting a tattoo and levels. Fall off was something else because I found definite tracks to love on Junk. It, like it, mm. it was, yeah, it was like the maximalist kind of furthest possible extension of his 80s obsession. And it really graded on a lot of people, you included. I really, really upset there me. There was for some any, nice songs, I thought. For anyone who doesn't know, M83 was originally the project of two people. It was Anthony Gonzalez and Nicholas Fromageau. And they made a couple of records together. And then Nicholas Fromageau left the project. And Anthony Gonzalez took it all over and went forward with it. And mostly did great stuff. Uh, with each new record, there was a strange kind of thing in which the cinematic was still there. But it was kind of moving in a more widescreen direction. And indulgences and kind of I suppose a theatricality would come into play as well and generally it was well judged even on the double album which if it was a singular album would be so much better but by the time Junk came around I just found the pastiche glossiness to be way too lightweight and just too like self-indulgent and not in a good way mm. there was talk of Fromageau returning to the fold I haven't fully looked into that one um, yeah. however this forthcoming record will presumably be in this vein of ambient space work and instrumental kind of heavy and kind of a low-key thing, which I think actually is a nice kind of way of resetting things. Uh, what I will say is, if you've any interest in M83 and have never checked them out, do go and check out Before the Dawn Heals Us, which is a 10 out of 10 album for me. And the album that preceded that, which is uh, Dead Seas, I think it's Dead Seas, Red Cities and Lost Ghosts. I always get that fucking title yeah, wrong. I think it sounds right. And even the self-titled original is also very, very good. They were actually reissued a few years ago. They're three, and two in particular, phenomenal, phenomenal records. And I really want M83 to mean what it meant to me again. I don't know if this is the record that will do it, but I enjoyed this. It takes a long time to get going, yeah. and it is a bit soundtracky by numbers, but again, I'll take it. 
Yeah, I like I liked what you said about it possibly being a bit of a reset. Like it feels like he's possibly doing a tentative um just clearing of the decks um before he goes in a different direction with the you know the main stuff i i really like this it's got a foreboding quality to it. it's kind of like almost religious or ceremonial with the with the drums um and it kind of when it shifts gear in the second half i thought it was a good payoff yeah nice stuff have you seen the video to it i have not yeah it's it's very 80s pastiche um whoa <laughs> yeah so maybe don't watch it <laughs> maybe rain myself back but in i enjoyed there. it uh, yeah um on repeated listens it was working for me so yeah i, I have a soft spot for m83 um, yeah look an act that has created some of my favorite music some of the most essential music i've ever encountered and some of the most incredible physicality experience i've ever had when it comes to just listening to music and just sweeping one away as, as, as i love great music to do and so i'll always hope that they can return to the forum and i, I don't know i think i was just burned so badly by the recent kind of change in direction that I was like, "What the fuck is going on? Why are you on like Kimmel dressed as Teen Wolf? Like, like what are you doing?" Yeah, not as that you shouldn't <laughs> be allowed to have fun, but come on, mate. As I remember a Liverpool fan posting online years ago um, about Torres after he left. <laughs> uh, we hate you so much because we loved you so much. <laughs> Just classic Scouse banter. <laughs> That's very good. Did you see, by the way, this week, um, Dennis Rodman uh, oh, was interviewed on some show and they had like a stats thing for him and it was like all his basketball stats. And then it said down at the bottom, former member of the NWO. <laughs> what? He was in the NWO in WCW. But as someone, on Twitter, as someone on Twitter rightly pointed out, uh, I'm sorry, this is factually inaccurate. Uh, NWO is for life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I feel like he's probably a former cabinet member of the North Korean government as well at this stage. Uh, current problematic man, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say. And with that, we'll move on to a less problematic figure. Mm. Uh, Post Malone, who has his third album. It's called Hollywood's Bleeding. I didn't even know this was fucking coming, by the way. Apparently it was announced at the end of July slash start of August. This is the move now, right? Isn't it? Just like He went people... to Twitter like a week ago and was like, by the way, my album's out next Friday. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Cause we There's were like, very few long run-ins for albums these it's days. It's really strange. Because even like last week, I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, do we have an album next week? And I was just going through. I was like, well, what's out? What's out? Post Malone. And I yeah. was like, it must be like a B-Sides thing because it's been so soon since the last one. But no, no, this is his brand new album, his third album. <laughs> one that will probably shatter streaming records. Oh, sorry. Speaking of before that, Tool went number one. Hey, hey, Tool in the Billboard charts, number one. Congratulations, lads. Take that, Taylor Swift and Lana Del stands. <laughs> but this week, the conversation is not about Tool. That was last week. Go listen to it. This is Post Malone off his new record, and then we'll talk about it. And that was allergic taken from Hollywood's Bleeding, Post Malone's new album. So who is Post Malone? I'm just doing the primers now, am I? That's like set in stone. I've opened up my bottle of sparkling water just for this. Fair enough. Sit back, drink your sparkling water, and let me tell you about a very 21st century all-American boy. (laughs) (laughs) Post Malone is uh, a dude from New York who grew up in Texas, and that kind of says a lot about his musical upbringing. Um... And his approach to his career, I guess, because very rooted in hip hop, he seemed like he might be a bit of a flash in the pan, a bit of a kind of footnote when he arrived with White Iverson a couple of years ago, which was a big hit. Um, not everyone loved it. He's He seemed a bit Marmite, uh, not built to last. 
I believe I've said on the podcast a few times before that he was a good example of Kanye West knowing the kind of small amount of talent in someone, using that really well on his music and then being like, okay, yeah, he's done. Um, so he appeared on The Life of Pablo. He got the Kanye cosign around the time he started blowing up with Stoney, his debut album. And yeah, people, some people were kind of into him, but he had that gruff kind of demeanor. Um, he had the face tats. It seemed like he might have a couple of hits and then disappear. But actually, um, it seems like he might have a much longer career because he's probably one of the biggest stars in the world now. <laughs> um, Beer Bongs and Bentleys arrived um, a couple of years ago. and Last year. Was it it's only, only last been year? a year? Jesus Christ! That's the thing. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Wow, and it's gone like there's records on that that have gone diamond. It's been sitting on the US charts ever since its release. Um, a real kind of behemoth of the uh, charts, and well, I he's guess a pop he's, star, isn't he? He's a pop star. He's a character. It started as SoundCloud rap, but he's a pop star. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of sits in the very center of that Venn diagram of modern pop where. You know, he's got elements of country. He likes his kind of classic rock. He started with a very kind of hip-hop aesthetic. Now, people have called him out about not really caring too much about the culture of hip-hop, which I think is maybe a little unfair. But I think, you know, a lot of artists, the likes of Ed Sheeran, will talk about, yeah, genres don't matter anymore. Look at me do a fucking Motley Crue song. And it all seems a bit awkward. With Post Malone, I actually think he's really well positioned to kind of take in all those genres and just shit out <laughs> big pop songs um willy-nilly because he's got an aquat melody and what he does is kind of seamless even if you're not that into it it has to be said he's a hook machine he is it's incredible yeah uh, he does like big dumb hooks really well <laughs> but here's the thing i i wonder and of course you know let's get the obvious out of the way it's 17 tracks long therefore it's too long <laughs> however it is what like 36 minutes shorter than the tool album <laughs> <laughs> yeah but who's counting <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing i i i'm generally kind of on his side i think if yeah. anything uh he's harmless enough i think he's gotten you, you mentioned a gruff demeanor um, I think that's the perception of the of the guy. Yeah. I think ultimately, you look at him in interviews. He's usually he's actually quite amiable. Yeah, yeah he's usually yeah. very humble. He's yeah. usually very talkative and interesting, which is an interviewer's dream. And as I say, quite humble. I recall him on Jimmy Fallon calling Jimmy Fallon sir all the time, and I'm like, don't call Jimmy Fallon sir. Jimmy Fallon's an asshole. Yeah. But like, sir, I was just like, whoa. And you could, you could see people in the crowd were like, oh my god, this this yeah. tattooed man is 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 saying nice things. I can't believe this it. Lout. Yeah, and he's, I think he gets an awful lot of flack for his appearance. Well, there was that Washington Post article from last year. That which, takedown, which yeah, was awful. The headline alone was something like, you know, he's the face of modern America, and that's not a compliment. And it was just very vicious about, first of all, up front, the way he looks. And basically saying he's everything wrong with kind of, you know, the toxic elements of gen z masculinity and all that kind of Which stuff i don't think he is no, in general. Don't get me he doesn't wrong. seem to be whatsoever no i do think lyrically there's certainly an immaturity here but he is also just 24 years of age yeah uh, and of course a lot of the songs boil down to ultimately the same thing which is got my heart broken you know fuck you i'm moving on yeah and there's only so many ways you can say that even as the most skilled writer and orator in the game of which he is neither mm-hmm. but he is attractive in the sense that the music is attractive like i say he's a hook machine 
I don't get a lot from it, though. I don't get a lot of electric charge off the songs. They tend to all kind of sound the same in a way. Like, you kind of have drafts of the same song on this one following, the like, a better version of it. To the point where, at one stage, he, he just becomes the Florence and the Machine of Sad Boy SoundCloud rap pop. And it's just Post Malone's pop sandwich. And you're like, okay, I mean, this is a bit much now. So, at the same time, I, there's nothing nothing here to dislike, I don't think. But is it is it nourishing? Yeah, I think... I think he's got the veneer of being unvarnished because he's a very, he's clearly a very good uh, melody writer, uh, him and his team. Um, of which is, you, is big, by the way. If you look at the writing credits on this thing, like he's never on his own. Yeah, I think he, he mainly partners up with your man Louis Bell. I think they've kind of formed a good partnership. I think a lot of the time, even when he features on other people's stuff, it's unmistakably him. Like I think he's a big hand in the writing. Um which is probably most evident on this when you get to uh, Ozzy Osbourne's feature on Take What You Want, where he's essentially just singing Post Malone melodies. It's pretty remarkable. It's just like Ozzy doing karaoke Post Malone. Oh, yeah, through a Post Malone filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very odd. But Also, Ozzy sounds like it's 1975. He sounds like He sounds young. great, considering... <laughs> it's <yeah>. weird, right? <laughs> it's that Ozzy DNA. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he's, you know... Uh, a Washington Post article talking about his face tattoos and the toxic elements of his fan base seems way off base to me because I think he is very much the acceptable face of American youth because this is very, it's it's quite polite by it's the modern pop. It's very safe. It's very it's designed for streaming. It's designed for radio. Yeah, it's it's, it's the weekend. A lot of the it, weekend not hitting the heights that, like of success that he was hoping for. Yeah, a lot Malone of it sounds it. like very like if you would have combed the U.S. charts back in the eighties, the kind of the collision of yacht rock and pop. Add a bit of hip hop and a few trap drums to that kind of sound, and he's just like he's a modern day Phil Collins at times. On this, do you know what I mean? It's very safe. It's it's very formulaic. It's depressingly well done. Yeah, it's um, razor sharp and laser focused yeah. to the point where a lot of the songs don't go beyond three minutes. It captures the Instagram generation. You know, it's like this is this is an album of Instagram stories. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, at the same time, is it saying anything new? Not really. Is it agreeable generally? But if you really try and comb down into it and drill down into it, there's not a lot here. I agree that he himself has managed to establish himself as some kind of signature presence because a Pulse Malone song is now identifiable. Yeah. But it's not terribly enriching. He's got the voice. The voice has more character than his lyrics do, by far. Definitely. Um, and he's he's also going to ruin that voice, by the way. You can hear it already tra- changing. Like, he needs to lay off the Bud Lights and the Smokes because he's going to end up like Bob Dylan by album number five. He's going to go electric, <laughs> is he? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's very little substance. It's, you know, at times he taps into that um, Drake school of, like, aspirational sadness where it's like you get enough wealth to be sad about people hating the fact that you're rich. Um, that seems one mode he goes down, which I don't think he excels at. But when he's a bit more playful, when he kind of he's a bit more vibrant and there's a bit of aggression in his voice, he sells it really well. Like it, it, his natural voice, he's got a kind of inbuilt sincerity, so he can sell the kind of goofier lines. He can sell the kind of very cliched stuff about the haters, and you don't think, oh, it's just laziness. It kind of makes a bit of sense to him. But actually, yeah, it is a veneer of kind of some, you know, home-born home kind of authenticity that isn't really there. To the be flair for pop sensibility almost kind of gets in his way sometimes. You look at a song like Allergic, and he's got that moment where it kind of veers off course, and he goes into kind of weird, like, 
ole ole meets kaiser chiefs <laughs> thing which i actually thought was really well judged yeah, yeah. it's a really good like you know na, 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 da, 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 like yeah. kind of like it's a really like it's it's a flex like and if you read the pitchfork review of this one which is trying way too hard um and is praiseful but also kind of an ironic kitsch knowing way and i don't know what the overall point is uh, they kind of outline that he has so much strength in this regard that it's 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 lazy for him almost like he's really good at it and he just throws them out and I think the problem is that there's just not a lot of stitching here it's just kind of like a, a bunch of ideas at times and like I say like you're getting the same songs a lot and you're also getting songs from quite some time ago because you have Sunflower on here which was released in October 2018 yeah. now don't get me wrong that's a fucking great song it's yeah it kind of towers above even some of the you know better songs on this and it comes version. in the back half at like track 12 towards the end then you also get like um, Goodbyes which came out earlier in the summer Yeah, it ends with Wow which I think came out at Christmas uh, Sunflower follows a song called Staring at the Sun and it's kind of just the exact same song Sunflower though I mean like honestly like when it arrives you're like it's a reminder you're like that's an excellent song well, yeah and I think Sway Lee from uh, Ray Schwermert I can never pronounce that it probably Schremert? yeah probably steals the show on that but yeah. it's it's such and it reminds you of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse which <laughs> even in this superhero saturation age that's a really good movie I still haven't seen it, but it's genuinely, yeah, I've heard nothing I, but good things. I'm telling you, it's it, it's a perfect Sunday hangover movie. Cool. Uh, it's got tremendous invention and animation and just a really good story, really well put together. It's gold, and the track suits it very, very well. It's uh, Yeah, you know, f- coming from that hip-hop pop genre, I think it's one of the better kind of mainstream anthems since maybe Hold On, We're Going Home, one of Drake's things. Like, it's just a really well streamlined anthemic song it doesn't outstay its welcome in fact it's probably slightly too short the chorus has hooks upon hooks the verses throw up different things the two performances are great so yeah that's a real standout so you agree that it's better than vampire weekend song of the same name <laughs> i've actually really come around to the sunflower especially the 13 minute live version they do <laughs> of course you have uh how did your trap drum tolerance work on this one I'm, I'm maintaining the party line that in about five years all of these albums are going to sound so dated <laughs> and crappy because like he, he can kind of carry it off he comes from that gene pool i guess that he kind of rides some of the beats quite well but just they're incessant incessant they're needlessly kind of uh, there, there's so many flourishes of just uh, I don't know this they don't where, serve the songs there's parts where I'm like get a real drummer <laughs> yeah get Travis Barker he'll do it and so much of what he does melodically seems to have its kind of origins in pop punk turn of the century US emo rock even and you just feel that kind of backing would suit it a lot more of that energy as opposed to this like his voice is strong enough that he kind of elevates those airy spacey kind of minimalist beats but he'd be better served a lot of time i think with just a few guitars like the opening song it has kind of quite a nice guitar line it feels like he's building a bit of a narrative you go oh is this going to be a concept record no it's not (laughs) (laughs) but there's a lot of promise and it feels like there might be some scope there which he just abandons in the next two songs we should mention by the way for anyone who thought they misheard earlier on who might not check out a postman record yes ozzy osbourne is on this album what did you make of that collaboration um, along with Travis Scott. Who you kind of forget is on there. Yeah, I mean, it's one of his better editions, I think, in a while. Uh, listen, yeah, his voice sounds great. It kind of makes sense, again, in Post Malone's universe. Do you it's know what very I mean? 2003. It is, yeah. A lot of this is, right? It, yeah, I agree, it is. Like, yeah, I don't know. I th- I think what Oasis were to, like, the Beatles, right? Where are <laughs> you going with this 
Go on. So, right, Oasis arrived in, like, the mid-90s, right? And all the lads loved them because they're bringing back proper music from, like, 20 years ago, right? I feel like Post Malone is tapping into that first moment in, like, the the 90s and turn of the century when hip-hop and, like, rock started colliding and you had new metal happening. I feel like he is, like, in that lineage, and he's actually a bit more of a throwback than you would think. So you but, think Post Malone is the gateway to the new I think metal he's, revival? I think he's the American Liam Gallagher, except nicer. <laughs> wow. I mean, can he live with that pressure is the question. Is there an artist here? Like, is there, I mean, not to denigrate him too much, but like I said, I, I use the term content creator because I just find, like, at a certain point, this all becomes wallpaper. Uh, the prospect of sitting down to 17 tracks of a Post Malone record for the week was one I met with a little bit of dread. Very quickly, I was like, oh, this is actually totally flowing. It's 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 going into my bloodstream, no problem. I'm not having a bad time here. But I will say that, like, coming around to it again today for like probably listen number nine or ten because like i say even though it is an hour long it does kind of fly past you i did run out of patience i'm not going to go back to it um yeah i'm not going to go back to it but i wouldn't actively avoid it yeah even if it came on in public i'd be like oh yeah you know i've got a bit of fondness for this that's the thing which i I think i lack with you know with ed sheeran's more recent albums or any of his albums or the even the likes of drake's later projects which are kind of so do you think sorry like do you think it comes down period personality here because like these these mentioned names they're all tapping into the same frequencies in as much as these songs are constructed yes they are designed it is a creative meeting to get headspace, you know, to get advertising space between your fucking ears. And obviously it works for the kids and yeah. it works for people who blare music off phones and stuff. And it is agreeable. Like you say, it comes on a night out, a couple of beers in, you're like, this is very agreeable and I'm having a good time. Yeah. But is there a bit of a trick here? Is the gloss acceptable because he's, like I say, he's like an attractive, warm character? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there isn't anything approaching the kind of you know his cringe is more just dumb lyrics that you've had throughout pop music forever whereas ed sheeran's just taking it to new levels of kind of problematic and also just irritation um with drake i feel like he's trend chasing so much and over analyzing what he's doing so much that it just feels very very kind of uh, done by committee and scientific and it is personality. Post Malone can sell it right now at the moment. I think he's getting away with it. He's got such a like effortless touch with the melodies. They ju- it seems like he's just throwing them away. It doesn't seem like some... Like this is, you know, the same kind of album where it's like a playlist. It's like all of these songs are built to just slip into other playlists really well. But it feels like he's just throwing them away. He's that good at melodies that it's just like, yeah, didn't put much thought into this. Here's a collection of radio bangers. But lastly... Is there not an argument to be made that he's a bit cynical and miserable? And yes, I'm aware that I have just made that argument. <laughs> um, like if you if, again, if you drill down into it, like it's not upbeat. These are not sun-kissed tales. Yeah, but it's a I bit think grim post Malone's world. I, yeah, but I think it's kind of twenty-something cynical at the world and relationships in general, out partying because like fuck the world kind of sentiment that has been inherent in music as opposed to careerist he doesn't feel careerist to me yeah and he is just out of relationship you also got a kanye co-write on here you got a josh tilman co-write on here <laughs> yeah i'm not sure what they're really doing i kind of like that myself i initially was like well this is the standout of the newer stuff we've heard the track myself which is a tilman uh collaboration and then i felt like is it a bit too 
wry and like well written for Post Malone. Have you heard Father John Misty? <laughs> that's what that's what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of I like that lyrical idea of it's you know I wish I could have been there myself on this amazing kind of you know career I'm having and all the places I've been to. It doesn't really suit Post Malone's character. I think right. I don't think he's analyzing. It's it's slightly too meta for Post Malone. I think. Yeah, and the Kanye one is internet, which is Post Malone giving out about the internet, which you know we we all agree yeah. with. But it's also in the wake of him, you know, having some horrible times where, for example, he was in like a horrific car crash, went online to tell people he was okay, and was met with people saying, "I wish you had died." There was a plane a plane incident as well that kind of drew a similar reaction, and he's kind of like, "I'll get my news from the newsstands now because I won't be on the internet." And then you get this weird kind of like string laden outro. I believe it was taken from the Andy Sessions, possibly this one. Yeah, yeah. There's a version out there with Kanye on it. Yeah, um, it sounds a stitched together as is a lot of the record yeah, I, shockingly. I think yeah I think ultimately yeah playlist is a good way of putting it I think you can easily port some of these songs over as I say using language from 2003 um, and it's generally fine I didn't get a lot from it it's fast food 5 out of 10 like, yeah. l- like a you know a, a fair play mate I'm glad it's out there 5 out of 10 yeah I might give it a 6 just because I feel like if you're reviewing what his intentions were with this record it ticks a lot of boxes it's you know if you're putting it up against other big pop releases of the year i mean we talked about taylor swift a couple of weeks ago i think the songs are catchier than her catchier songs on that record i feel like this positions him really well to this obviously going to be gigantic you know the way he's going at the moment he could be the dude that overtakes drake for the next couple of years just yeah, as the, the main wor- guy but the worry there and even with the record lights one that is kind of so in and out is that it does feel like you know post Malone expansion pack cd rom basically so i can bring it to the 90s now would you do you think there is you know getting away from the charts and stuff artistically can he will he ever release an album that is a, a grand kind of creative statement he could uh, but th- th- this isn't a challenge. He's not challenging himself. Yeah. I read a review, I think it was Vulture's review by Craig Jenkins, and a writer that I do tend to pay attention to, and he said, this is Post Malone in a dressing room trying on vibes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Seeing it's, what seeing what fits, basically. Yeah. It's very middle of the road. Yeah. Um, but it's fine for what it is. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it a six. Okay. Um, because I can, yeah, I won't come back to it, but I wouldn't be, you know, horrified at hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Switch that off immediately, please. I mean, like, yeah. I can't, re- like, to people... I'll take this over Lil Nas X. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't recommend it. Like, if you're listening to this, you're better than this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm not going to recommend it, except for Sunflower, which is an absolute banger. It's a great song. If you haven't heard it, get to that one. Okay, uh, this episode of No Encore was engineered by Sonic Architect Eve Murray in the other listening corner. Uh, I watched Sinead O'Connor on The Late Late Show. Yeah. Did you see it? I did indeed, yeah. And you wrote a really good piece about it as well, and just kind of the reaction online. Thank you, yeah. I wrote a piece for Joe. Uh, I Because like I, I didn't see the piece in real time, uh, but I saw Twitter lighting up and everyone kind mm. of praising. She did Nothing Compares to You on The Late Late Show. She also did a Pogue song as well, and did an interview with Ryan Turbidy about religion and stuff. She was dressed in her ceremonially uh, hijab dress, because she's re- reconverted to Islam. Yeah. And... For all the positive comments that were out there, there was also some horrible ones too. Uh, ones that took aim at her from a mental health point of view and ones that took aim at her from a religious intolerance point of view. And I was working over the weekend, so I had to view a comment section based on this and other websites' comment sections as well. And as we all know, that tends to invite some toxic commentary in general. 
But the negative ones that I saw I found particularly distressing and upsetting. I don't think Shane O'Connor is an infallible human being. She has said and done stuff that I have found uh, very troublesome. At the same time, I do think her performance of Nothing Compares to You was a reminder of one of the great talents that this country has produced. One that we should be proud of and we should look to meet in the middle and shouldn't be so disparaging and afraid and, uh, you know, repulsed and, and, and kind of unwelcoming to someone who has been through an awful lot in her life, publicly has struggled, and from a very young age was uh, vilified and condemned after Saturday Night Live and various other things and speaking out about to even Church. Yeah, to even come through that in one piece. In her early 20s. Same age as fucking Post Malone. Incredible. Like. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, the fact that she's still here is, 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 is something to be celebrated. And there was a moment in that performance on Friday where at the end of it, the camera uh, moved up to her and she caught the camera looking at her and she smiled and she waved and yeah, I genuinely it was, welled up. Yeah, I, I thought it was, it was an exceptional moment, a, a, a moment of pure empathy. And yeah, I was moved to write a piece and, you know, I, I don't know how good or bad the piece was. It, those ones are difficult. You can't be too definitive when talking about mental health and talking about religion. Uh, I know a lot about one. I know I know very little about another. But ultimately, I just felt that she needed someone in her corner, whether yeah. that was me or whether that was the people who were shouting around. And like I said, there was a lot of positivity as well. And also a reminder as well that, Jesus Christ, like her cover of Nothing Compares to You is legitimately <laughs> one of the most exceptional songs Phenomenal. that has ever Best been cover, ever been put out yeah. there in the world. But then, but then you, you, delve, you dive down into albums like The Lion and the Cobra. It's a fantastic record. Yeah. Songs like Men like incredible I mean like she's genuinely put out some exceptional stuff over the years there's a live version of Queen of Denmark I think it's in Vicar Street I watched it last weekend uh, it's astonishing. Like yeah. it's, it'll, it'll get into your fucking pores, man. It's unreal. So she has to Sinead O'Connor. Uh, also, uh, evenings are getting a little bit colder and darker. So <laughs> I'm fi- finding myself in autumnal Dave mode. Uh, so, uh, what do you have any records or songs or artists even that like at this time of year you're like that's it. It's perfect. Yeah, it used now. to be Ryan Adams loves hell. <laughs> that's not happening this year, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Antlers the Antlers are still good uh, that's a great show great, yeah lots yeah. of their stuff is yeah reminds me of the changing of the seasons yeah I'm a big fan of uh, for whatever reason I just that this is my favourite time of year to listen to Mushroom Head and A Perfect Circle I remember like uh, walking around Drada back in the, my fucking teen days and like listening to like a w- fucking mini disc or a disc man oh, or yeah. whatever it was I had but I remember just walking around at like 5 o'clock after a shift or something and it was pitch black and it was cold and just listening to these songs and just you know kind of that was my thing like, like, and it was you know a different time Greg but I do love that music can take on a different power at certain times of the year yeah. and I've also been giving a listen to the forthcoming debut album from Tebby Rex which arrives on the 20th of September Same. former guests of this show they put a lot of work into it make sure you check that out when it drops what have you been listening to? Yeah, we mentioned the boys the Weezer boys earlier on I fell down a Weezer hole this week Dave um since I saw was them it off in Bilbao, the back of that news was it? It kind of was, yeah. But since I saw them in Bilbao uh, over the summer and like was having a semi-ironic but actually not ironic at all, really good time as they like covered Aha and then did all of the hits. This might like, be I'm thirty now. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Uh, and <laughs> for for years, I was like, there must be something to salvage from like the post two thousand Weezer years. But I wasn't going to go through every album and just try and find gems. So by all accounts, the White Album, which they released like a couple of years ago, was a return to form. When it came out a few years ago, I thought, no, I hate Weezer now. I'm not going to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) But I went back to it. And you know what? It's brilliant. It's really, really good. It makes me like I, I dislike them more now because they've been capable of doing that. And they've been joking around and doing fucking memes and like <laughs> they're insufferable hey what about hurley <laughs> what about it well, by the way was that called hurley or was it just because hurley was on the cover are all their albums not self-titled 
Or did they no, call it? No, no, because Rotitude wasn't so <laughs> oh Yeah, sorry. Rotitude. They're a band I just don't know. I just don't Did you know. ever have a Weezer period, like, of their 90s stuff? No, I, I think Buddy Holly is exceptional. Yeah. And, I mean, like, Hash Pipe's a tune. Yeah. But no, it's just, it's not for me. That's fair. Um, yeah. They're, it's I don't not know. for me, mate. Well, if you ever kind of had a fondness for Weezer in their... Um, in their purple patch, check out the white album because it's a return to form. Of course, it's slightly tainted by everything that was in the middle, but you can kind of brush it off because the tunes are good. Okay. Um, to close the show this week, uh, another former guest, a hook machine in her own right, yeah. and a lady I'm very fond of, Orla Gartland, put out a new track last week following her excellent EP that came out earlier this year. It's a song called Did It To Myself, and it's kind of a weird upbeat, kind of jazzy stomp that's uh, all about getting your heart broken and realising that you fucked it up and that it was entirely your fault. So I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we, we've all had moments. Wrap it up, <laughs> Yeah. I could talk for about six minutes straight now, but I won't. I'll just say that Orla has written a tremendous song yet again, and this is what it sounds like. It's called Did It To Myself. Check it out. This is Dave Hanrady. This has been an encore. There will be no encore. Back next week, folks. I woke up to an empty bed I took a walk to clear my head I wished you were there instead But then I shook it off oh, What the hell did I use to do? I'm even starting to speak like you And now you're living in my memory Living in my mouth Living in the four fucking walls of my house I feel like a letdown To not be your friend now
answer honestly And I went with option B I lost you and you lost me I can't shake it off This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>